This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I want to begin this morning. Our, <clears throat> our lesson this morning is entitled Stewardship, Giving. In fact, all this quarter we're dealing with the subject of stewardship. But a very important part of that commitment of stewardship is our giving. And um, that involves a lot of things that we're going to discuss during the course of these next two weeks. But there's a passage of scripture here in, in Matthew chapter 6 that I want us to look at uh, to begin with, beginning at verse uh, 19, that I think lays some important groundwork or, or spells out for us an important principle that we need to take very seriously as we consider this matter of our giving. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning with uh, verse 19, I'm going to read through verse 21. It says this, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It'd be a good idea, I know many of you mark in your Bibles, and I think that's good practice. If you'd underline that verse, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Well, that's a good principle to remember. Our giving will be governed by this principle. Where your heart is, there's your treasure also. And uh, or where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, the verse was used, I think, in the, in the message this morning, that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. But also from the abundance of the heart, um, we operate. We do what's in our hearts. And uh, if you have a giving heart, if you have a, if you have a generous spirit, it's reflected in the way uh, you have given your life and your treasures over to the Lord. And uh, if you're more interested in heavenly things than you are earthly things, that'll be reflected in your giving. And I think we need to develop in our own lives a love for heaven. We're all going to be there one day. That is, all of us who've been born again. And I'm sure that would include every one of us that are here in this auditorium this morning. And uh, if that's not the case, then I would really love to talk with you about that. But um, <clears throat> we all have a stake in heaven. And uh, I don't know how it is with you. I suspect that it's the same with you as it is with me. The older I get, the more I treasure heaven. I, I'm looking forward to heaven. And the things of this earth are growing strangely dim. And, um, and I hope that's, that is reflected in my life. I hope it is. 
You know, <clears throat> it might seem to be a simple concept, but small things turn out to be very highly important at times. And usually all the time, especially for believers. To put it in biblical terms, we could say something like this. Those who are faithful with little things will be faithful with much. And that's a principle we, found, we find in Luke chapter 16 and verse 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also. Or he that is just in also that, that which is least is, is just also in that which is much. And so this brings us to the topic that we'll be discussing for two weeks now. And that is the topic of giving. How we can be good stewards with the little or the, or the much that God has given to us. That, that's an important thing, an important thing. So number one, Roman numeral number one in your outline, why should Christians give? There are several reasons why we should be involved in the stewardship of giving. And um, first of all, letter A, giving shows how great God is. Uh, we can magnify God in our lives. We can magnify God in so many ways. We can magnify God in the way we give. And I think so much is, um, is expressed by the way we give. Our, our giving magnifies the greatness of God. And that's what Moses thought, and, and it's recorded in Hebrews. Um, it says this of Moses, he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. You know, Moses had great wealth in Egypt when, when he, by adoption, became the, the daughter of the, the king's, uh, the pharaoh's daughter, or he became the son of pharaoh's daughter. Uh, he became a very rich person, a little baby, but he grew into that. And, but later in life, when he became account, accountable for his life, he realized that those treasures that he had in Egypt were, were not quite as rich and as plenteous and, and bountiful and as much of a blessing as the riches that he had in God, in his God. And we bring that over into the New Testament as Paul did as he wrote in the book of Hebrews and he said that Moses uh, esteemed the, the riches of Christ greater than the treasures in Egypt. Why? For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. That's in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 26. When Moses gave up the treasures of the world, he was proclaiming that Christ was worth far more. And when we're willing to give to God what we have, um, a little bit later on this morning, I hope I can get to it. And uh, a little bit later on this morning, we're going to talk about how much we should give. And there's a point, don't fill it in yet, we'll get to it eventually. How much should we give? Everything. Yeah, everything. Don't write that down yet, we'll get to it, okay? We'll get to it. Well, anyway, it's simple logic, actually. We give, we give up what is valuable to gain that which is more valuable. That's what Moses did. And that's what you and I should be doing. When we do that for the sake of Christ, we show how great God is. And then letter B, God generously gives to us. 
uh, our giving shows how great, how great God's gift is to us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9, it says, uh, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Sounds like a paradox, doesn't it? That um, irony there or something. But you know, it's so true. Jesus Christ gave everything. God gave his son. Uh, he left the beauty, he left the, 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 the wealth, he left the, the glories of heaven and came down here and was mistreated so by men for the purpose of us becoming rich in Christ. And we have some wonderful riches in the Lord. We can forsake all of our worldly possessions because God has given us something that's far more valuable. In fact, our generosity with, uh, with the things of this world shows how much, how much God has given to us, how much we have in Christ. We should not be, uh, we should not be attracted to, the, to, uh, to our things or attached to our things because they pale in comparison to the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. And then another reason why we Christians should give, letter C, giving promotes godliness. I don't know how you may have thought about this or if you've thought about it at all, but giving promotes godliness. One of the, one of the reasons we give is to become like Jesus. Jesus gave everything he had, right? I've said this so many times that one of the, the object of the Christian life is to be more like Christ. We are predestined to be conformed to his image, you know. And so one of the objectives of the Christian life is to become more like Christ. And have you ever thought about, you know, the more I give, the more I'm like Jesus? Jesus gave it all. Jesus paid it all. And so um, giving helps to keep our priorities straight. Our text that I read just a while ago, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God gives everything, uh, he gives every one of us, God gives every one of us a, a determinate amount of money. Uh, we need some to live. Anybody disagree with that? We need some money to live. And we should also have some to save or to invest and some to pay our debts in order to be responsible uh, with what he has given us. And the rest of it, what should we do with the rest of it? Anybody want to answer that question? What? Yeah, give it. Why shouldn't we give what we don't need? And sometimes what we think we need, we don't really need. We could give that too. Are you saying, preacher, that I should empty my bank account? Nope. Not what I'm saying. I'll clarify that as we go along here. But anyway, uh, we should give it all. Uh, what we hoard can become a spiritual asset. It'll eat away at our commitment to Christ. Keeping what we should give away is trying to put uh, put trust in God plus something else. 
which is an impossible thing to do because the Bible says you cannot serve God and mammon. God promises godliness by reminding us, God promotes godliness by reminding us that God owns everything we have. And this is why God um, accused the Israelites, uh, as we read in the book of Malachi. Uh, they didn't give what God had commanded them to give. They were robbing God, Malachi chapter 3. And all we have is God's, not just a portion that, that we set aside on Sunday morning or for some good cause. Everything we have belongs to the Lord, every bit of it. And then letter D, giving causes others to praise God. Our giving helps encourage others to give thanks and praise to God. That's how Paul put it. In fact, he follows his plea uh, for gifts to the Judean Christians with this statement in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 12. He says, For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, it not only met the need of those saints in Jerusalem. He's talking about that, that offering that was taken uh, by the Macedonians and the Corinthian church and so forth for uh, the church of Jerusalem. And so he says the, the administration of this service not only supplied that want for the saints, but there's something else he said, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. I'm sure you could hear those saints at Jerusalem when that offering was delivered to them to meet their desperate need, just praising God. Praising God. And I'm sure that if we listen very closely to the saints at the church in Philippi that gave to that offering, to the church at, um, in Galatia, to the church, churches in Macedonia, and even the church at Corinth, those people there, when they realized what a blessing that was to, those, to meet that need in Jerusalem, I'm sure their hearts were rejoicing, and I believe that that's what Paul's saying here. There were many thanksgivings to God. They were praising God, not only for meeting a need of those poor saints in Jerusalem, but also meeting the need of those saints in those other churches had of giving themselves to help others. You ever have a good feeling when you give something to somebody? I usually do. I feel good about it. And, uh, and praise the Lord that, that I had that to give. I was able to help somebody. And I think that that's what this is all about here. But there's another thing we need to consider. Why do we give? Because giving, number letter E, giving brings blessing. If we give, we'll be blessed. And this is often a misunderstood biblical principle. But before we go to the bad teaching of it, and there is some bad teaching on this and we're going to look at briefly here. But before we cover that, uh, we need to understand what, what God's actually saying here. God promises a blessing. Uh, God's promise of blessing is a legitimate reason why we should give. Jesus encouraged giving based on the motive of blessing. We get a, we get a blessing from God when we give, and uh, and it's a good and and that's a good motivation. 
and I'll explain that. You say, well, it seems kind of self-serving. No, uh, it, could, it could be self-serving. But there are two kind of motives when we give. First of all, there's godly motive. That's number one, godly motivation. Godly motivation. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38 says this, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Did you hear that? Jesus said this. He said, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosoms. For with the same measure that ye meet, or the, with the same measure that you use to measure, is what that word meet, uh, the idea of that word meet, for the same measure that you use to measure, with all it shall be measured to you again. There is a blessing for giving. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, it says, But I say unto you, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. But he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, for of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Let me use a, an earthly illustration to illustrate a, a heavenly principle. When I was growing up as a kid in New Jersey, there was a town near us, about five miles from where we live, called Daretown. Just a small town. Uh, basically a crossroad. Actually, it had two crossroads in it. And... Um, and uh, had um, two churches um, and several farms, farms mostly, and a grocery store or a general store. What you would, what you would think of as a general store, you know, with a pot belly stove and all that sort of arrangement. And um, it was called Egan's General Store, and a family by the name of Egan's. Owned it. I've used this illustration before, and maybe some of you have heard it. But Eggins was famous for their ice cream. They had Richmond ice cream, which was made there in southern New Jersey. But uh, you could go to Eggins ice cream, uh, go to Eggins grocery store, and, and buy an ice cream cone. And uh, <clears throat> you know, you get one of these ice cream cones, and they put a scoop on it, and they put a by the way, they push that scoop down in the cone. Then they put another scoop on it. And then they put another scoop on it. And as much as they figured could hold that cone could hold is what they put on that cone for you. If you ordered a pint of ice cream, back in those days you could buy bulk ice cream and there was little car cardboard containers. Anybody remember those? Yeah. And <clears throat> a store would have a, a metal form that you put that cardboard box in, you know, to load it up with ice cream so that it wouldn't bulge out. Anybody remember that? You don't remember that? Okay. Well, Egan's had them, but they never used them. And they'd, they'd put the ice cream in that, that uh, pint box or quart box, whatever you got, you know, and they'd shove it down in there with a scoop, you know, and they'd put some more in and put some more in, and they put some more in, and when it was full, they had flaps on it that you could fold over, and, and you know, and they'd fast together. But instead of folding the flaps over, they would just stand them straight up like that and put more and more and more and more ice cream in there. 
Well, people would come from miles around to buy ice cream from Aiken's general store. And every time I read this verse, given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, I think of Egan's ice cream. And uh, <clears throat> they gave away ice cream like it was candy. And of course, ice cream has candy, you know. Um, my Sunday evening ritual is to go home from church and get a big bowl of, of uh, Briar's vanilla, cher cherry vanilla ice cream. Or butter pecan, they're my two favorites, you know. And usually, it's a big one. And <clears throat> I got a Christmas was it Christmas present, birthday present, uh, from some of the kids today uh, this, uh, for my birthday this year, of a big bowl that says on it "Pops Ice Cream." I used it for the first time last Sunday night, and frankly, I filled it up, and it was just too much. I'm going to have to. Watch what I put in it. <laughs> but anyway, why did I say that? Press down. Press yeah, press down, yeah. I think of Egan's ice cream. Well, you know, they gave away that ice cream. You think they're losing money on that ice cream. And I'm sure they didn't make any money on it, whether they lost money or not, I don't know. But the truth is that that ice cream brought a lot of business to them. So what they pressed down and... And, and put together in good measure and, and shook together and let it run over, blessed them in other ways. Now, that, that's an earthly illustration. But you know that exactly, I believe, illustrates what God does. When you and I are willing to give of what we have and just press it down and make good measure and, and, and let it run over, God's going to see that we get some dividends out of that. And, uh, and I think that's a proper motivation for giving. There are other motivations, and we're going to get into those a little later. But anyway, <clears throat> we give because there is a reward in giving. And this is a godly motivation for us. Uh, sticking our noses up and refusing God's reward is, is a false piety. And in fact, I think it defames God and his delight in showing his mercy and his grace to us. Uh, giving in order to, uh, to be blessed is a good and a godly motivation because we know God is going to honor that. But there is an ungodly, this is number two, there is an ungodly motivation. Unfortunately, some so-called Christian teachers Get this all wrong and skew what God has promised us. Even some evangelicals fall victim to this at times. They say that God's blessing for giving includes material prosperity now. Uh, I, just, I just said, I, ju I just made the point that expecting God to bless what we, what we give um, benefits us in a sense. And so what I, just, what I just now said seems to contradict that. But listen carefully as I continue here. Uh, <clears throat> there are some famous television evangelists that claim by writing them a check that God will heal their marriages, he'll pad their bank account, he'll heal their, all their ills. But even more faithful teachers sometimes 
often are, are mistaken when they teach that the reason, the reason that we're not able to get out of debt is because we don't give faithfully to our local churches. I don't believe that. I don't accept that. I, <clears throat> uh, that may, there may be a little truth in that. But those that teach this are, uh, are in- incorrectly defining the blessings of happiness and success by this world's standards instead of by God's standards. Material wealth is not a trustworthy measure of our holiness. Just because a Christian is poor is no evidence that he's not spiritual. There are some very, very godly people that I know who live, with the, live for the Lord and walk with God that don't have two nickels to rub together. And yet, they're very generous in their giving. I could use as an illustration a man that you would know, some of you, a missionary that we used to support by the name of Mike Casillas, missionary in, uh, in Puerto Rico. And uh, Mike's with the Lord now. Mike and I were in college together. If Mike had something that he felt that somebody else needed, he'd, he'd part with it in a flash. He'd give it away. It was kind of interesting to me that Mike didn't have two nickels to rub together hardly, but the two nickels that he had that he could rub together once in a while, he'd give them to somebody else. He'd give the shirt off of his back to somebody if he felt somebody else needed that shirt more than he did. And, um, and Mike's in college. He, he, went to, he went to Bob Jones, uh, got his undergraduate degree there, went through seminary, got his graduate degree there, and his bills were all paid. You say, well, how did that happen? I don't know how it happened. And the truth is that Mike Casillas, when he was alive, he couldn't tell you how it happened either, but it did. It was amazing how... <clears throat> money would come into him from sources that he didn't even know where it was coming from. He'd go to the um, business office to, to make arrangements to pay, pay his tuition and find out that somebody had already paid it. Mike had a very generous heart. He not only was willing to depart from his material things, but Mike walked with God. I, I can remember sometimes when I'd go up to Mike and say, Mike, I need for you to pray with me about something. He'd drop to his knees right there on the sidewalk and pray. He and I would pray together. And uh, it's just amazing how God provides and, and what he does. Just because a Christian is poor is no evidence that he doesn't love God. It's no evidence that he's not spiritual. Now, in the Old Testament, God did tie material blessing to obedience because God's people were defined as a physical nation. Uh, they lived in a physical land that God gave to them, uh, and, the, and uh, that, that produced physical material blessings. And we can read about that in uh, Numbers chapter 14 and Deuteronomy's chapter 28 and so forth. I'm not sure if I left those verses in your outline there or not, but the Old Testament 
The Old Testament blessings always foreshadowed something greater and more lasting. They were a foreshadow of the future kingdom of Christ and its blessings. As you go back in the Old Testament. But we come to this side of Calvary where we are now in this New Testament age. And God's people make up the church who have no country of their own. Oh, you say, well, we live in America, not our country. Yeah, it, uh, I guess so. But, but, uh, but it's not a country that God has designated specifically for the church. As he did in the Old Testament with Israel. And uh, so when scripture speaks of rewards, it's emphasizing the eternal spiritual blessings. It's true we get some in this life, but the truth is we have greater rewards coming to us, spiritual eternal blessings that are stored up in heaven that are far more valuable and far more numerous than what we have here on this earth. Only eternity will tell the riches that we actually have in Christ Jesus. Uh, when we get to heaven, I'm talking here about blessings that are a residual result of our, of our faithfulness to God. But anyway, um, <clears throat> there are, our greatest blessings are eternal spiritual blessings rather than the present material blessings that we have in this life. And Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 addresses that. For us, trust and obedience to God does not entitle us to the riches of this world. In fact, God calls his people to sacrifice in this life. 1 Thessalonians 1.4, Acts chapter 9, verse 16. But our suffering for Christ's sake will result in blessings and rich rewards in heaven. Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Now that's the New Testament emphasis. However, we must not rule out God's material blessings in this life because so many faithful believers have experienced uh, the increase that Jesus Christ spoke of in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Any earthly blessings given to a faithful believer are only a token of the spiritual blessings awaiting in heaven. Now let me summarize here. If we give, we will be blessed. And that blessing is a godly motivation for giving. And that's why Paul says that God loves a cheerful giver. That's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7. Because that kind of a giver publicizes the fact that the blessings that they receive are worth far more than the gift that they gave. I hope that principle will sink in with you that the blessings that we receive eternal spiritual blessings will be far greater than anything we ever give. And, and, and I can say in this life, there are some residual blessings that we get, material blessings that, that are only a token of what's awaiting us in heaven. Hmm. Um, Now, let me ask you this question. I'm going to, probably going to have to stop here. And I'm not anywhere near where I need to be. But uh, anyway, if, if you give with the wrong motive, 
or with a reluctant spirit? What if you give with the wrong motive or a reluctant spirit? Will God honor that giving? Don't answer it yet because you're going to answer it wrongly. <laughs> but let me ask that question again. What if you give with the wrong motive or with a reluctant spirit? Let me give you an illustration. What if you're not feeling very cheerful or charitable on Sunday morning when the offering plate comes down, comes down your pew? You look at that check in your hand and <clears throat> your mind begins to think all about the other things that you could do with that money. But you put it in the plate anyway, trusting that God's use of that money is better than yours. You still put it in the plate. But you did it kind of reluctantly or, or, or you thought, you know, poor man, you know, my car needs a new battery. I sure could use that. Or the refrigerator went bad this week. Man, we need that. Now, I don't want to show a hands because I don't want to incriminate anybody, but anybody in this room ever felt like that when you put your offering in the offering plate? Well, if you, raised your, if you would raise your hand, I would be one to raise my hand with you, be very frank. And the truth is that we've all been tempted to think that from time to time. You know, if we'd be honest with ourselves, we probably have. Maybe you've gotten to the point in your life where this has been a practice of yours that you have been so faithful over the course of the years to put your tithe in faithfully and your offerings in faithfully and, and you just do it um, rotely. And maybe you've gotten to the place where it hasn't been that much of a, uh, um, a temptation to you. But the truth is there, was, there have been some times when you've thought, you know, there's some things I could do with that. But you've done it anyway. You put it in, you put it in anyway. All right. Um, <clears throat> you put it in real, realizing that God has a better use for it. Now, let me ask this question. If you gave it with that thought, with that temptation, have you gained anything? Of course you have. You acted in faith in spite of your reluctance. And your giving speaks volumes about God's trustworthiness. God doesn't want regretful givers because, because their, their gifts say, say nothing about his worthiness. But gifts given amidst the battle of temptation are gifts of faith. And, they're just, and they are of great worth in God's sight. They're given reluctantly, but faith in God's trustfulness and trustworthiness wins the battle. Satan lost. We all face battles. You and I put our, as men, <laughs> men, you and I put our pants on the same way, one leg at a time, right? I don't, I don't know very many men that put both legs in the same time. Maybe there's somebody like, I don't but, <clears throat> but we, you know, in other words, we're alike. And, and we have these temptations. And, uh, and sometimes the temptation is with our giving. But we still do it anyway. We're faithful in doing it. I believe God rewards that. And the devil loses when we do. The devil loses. 
Your motivation doesn't have to be perfect in order to give faithfully. Uh, we're sinful, weak people after all, but, but, if we, but if we just really don't want to give and maybe you feel forced out of necessity to give uh, simply to fund the church budget, then don't give. Well, you're going to be the loser, but don't give. You know, If you really give grudgingly and you're that reluctant to give, maybe it maybe it's be a good deal for you just not to give. But you're going to lose if that's the case. Okay? Mark that down. So, God doesn't need our money. And uh, <clears throat> uh, he, can fulfill, he can fulfill his purposes without, without us. But in his kind providence, he's given you and he's given me the privilege and the joy of participating in the mighty work that he's doing. And that's what giving is about. Is God allowing us to get involved in what he's doing? And, uh, and though God doesn't need us, he, he owns the cattle on a thousand hill. He, he owns it all, you know. And he could get along without us, but the truth is that God just lets us in on what he's doing. And we should be grateful for that. And say, praise God, I have an opportunity to get in on what God's doing. And that's the reason I'm giving. Okay. Well, let's see here. That's the next point I got here. Let me stop right there. It's, uh, I'll give you a couple more minutes, but, but <clears throat> uh, I couldn't continue here without getting involved in something that's going to take us way over our time. All right, then next week when we come back, we're going to talk about what should Christians give. And uh, that'll be an interesting discussion. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege that you've given to us to give. I pray, God, that you will give us a proper spirit, a proper attitude. Help us, Lord, to learn not to give grudgingly or out of necessity or of necessity. But I pray, Lord, that you will just help us to be cheerful givers. And I pray, God, that you will help us to be generous givers. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to learn how to give everything to you. Turn it all over to you, Lord. There's more than just money involved in, uh, in this. And so I pray, God, that you will help us to put you first, to seek you first in the kingdom of God, that all the other things of this life, of this world, Lord, will be added unto us as you see fit. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and God's Word has had an impact on your life, as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.